So it's no big surprise that women outlive men by a pretty significant margin. And it shouldn't be a surprise, especially when you think about how stupid we are as guys. I said we as guys because I assume that, I don't know, for whatever reason, probably most of my listeners are guys or there's probably a couple women out there who want to hear about how stupid we are. And ladies, are you in luck today? Because I'm going to tell you a story, a true story about how stupid we are as guys, uh, particularly as teenage boys. This is like when most guys actually die before they actually become men. Is in that little tender age, right? Between uh, 15 to uh, 24. So, without further ado, we'll move into this. The names have been changed to protect the ignorant. So, when I was uh, like 14, we lived in a really rural area of Texas, and uh, went to help a friend out with some chores and hang out, you know, because there's a group. And so it's uh, me, Tim, and Steve standing over there, and uh, their buddy Albert. And we're going to burn some trash. We put the trash in the, uh, the trash barrel. Because that's what you do out in the country. You burn your trash and then you haul the pile of ash off to the dump. Uh, or you bury it on your property. So, you know, there's a burn ban in effect. And this to prevent fires from, you know, spreading like uh, wildfires. But, of course, you know, we're 14. We're teenagers. We're varied ages between 14 and 17. And... Um, can't get the fire to go because the wind keeps blowing the matches out. So Albert, you know, he wants to be leader, so he's going to go. He's got to light it. He's got to light the match. He's got to set it on fire like it's got to be him because this is the dude. He was going to be the guy that day. And he can't get it lit and goes inside to go get more matches. And we're standing there, me, Tim, and Steve, and we're looking around. And uh, out of the corner of my eye, I'm like, hey... Guys, you see that? There's a lawnmower handle. Stick it out from under the shed. They're like, so what? How does that help us? I said, well, if there's a lawnmower, there's gasoline. We can get this fire going like that. So here you go. You got a bunch of kitchen trash in a barrel in plastic bags in the middle of a, uh, a clearing behind a house in the middle of a giant corn pasture. And I pour some gasoline in there. Just, you know, a moderate amount, you know, very, very, uh, a very conservative amount. Just, you know, one or two good glugs, glug, 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 glug. And I run and put the gasoline back, because I don't want to get in trouble or get mad at, because it's not my gasoline, it's Albert's gasoline or his dad's gasoline. And so, uh, he comes back out, and he couldn't find any matches. He goes and he gets, he comes back with a, uh, <laughs> Zippo lighter, and, uh, the wind is blowing. Did I mention that? Like, it's blowing a lot. Like, it's, it's way too windy to be doing this. And uh, the, the wind is blowing out the Zippo. And so he keeps lighting it and striking it, and it's going out. So what does he do? He makes the little cup with his hand and bends over the trash barrel. And, like, at this point, like, you could smell the gasoline. I don't know. Like, And none of us really thought about it to even mention it because, like, it was so obvious and we really weren't but we weren't thinking because we're stupid kids so like he leans over it as soon as he strikes it and uh well what do you do when you get when you catch fire we all remember you know from kindergarten stop drop and roll no sir that is not what you do when you get fire that's only in theory what you do when you're on fire is you grab the nearest person to you scream 
and shake them and scream, Help me! And then you get shoved off by the person who you set on fire, who uh, happened to be Tim at this point, throws himself on the ground, goes rolling himself out. But Albert, on the other hand, Albert's got a full tank. He hits the throttle, gas to the floor, bam, tears off into the fucking cornfield. And uh, fortunately, it hadn't started to die yet or turn brown. It, it didn't catch fire. But I am paralyzed with laughter. I'm dying laughing. I'm, I'm not a nice person, I guess. I, I, I can't stop howling. So I'm, I'm bending over, just woofing my head off. And Tim gets up, and Steve is chasing after him. And Tim is really motivated, because I guess he really cares about his friend. And tears into the cornfield after him and tackles him from behind. I'm watching this from about a hundred yards away now through the uh the the rows i'm trying to keep up but like it just it hurts i'm laughing so hard and he gets on top of him and he's you know patting out the flames patting out the flames and as i get closer and closer i can hear him you fucking idiot and then you hear he's uh <laughs> he is not patting him out that nicely and so he's Screaming at him, oh my god, you idiot, you tried to fucking barbecue me. You were not Colonel fucking Sanders. I am not fried fucking chicken. And he's smacking the crap out of him. And about this time, Steve gets over there and just tackles Tim off of Albert. And so, (laughs) I'm catching up, slowly. And they get him put out, and everybody turns and looks at me, and they say, you should probably leave right now. And I said, well, shit, the show's over anyway. He's out of gas. <laughs> and I walked my ass home. So, of course, you know, uh, I'm feeling bad about this. You know, like, I'm, I'm laughing, but, you know, it's, uh, damn. It was funny. Um, especially because I wasn't the one that was on fire. Everybody else was mad at me, especially uh, especially Albert, I guess. And so, um, you know. They apparently they take him to the ER and uh, he gets patched up and I find this out because you know I can't stay away like these are my friends you know like I gotta I gotta go apologize I gotta go see what's up and so I knock on the door and uh, Tim and Steve are there you know because like they had checked on him I think it was actually like two days later I waited to show back up so Albert's there and he wasn't burnt that bad actually um, I'm surprised he wasn't madder at Tim for like you know kicking the crap out of him. Uh, He's got some bandages around his chest, you know, and apparently he had like some some blisters, some good second degree burns there. But what was funny is he had this uh, goatee before. It was like a really stupid prepubescent, not a prepubescent, but like this adolescent, not quite a man uh, goatee that was trying way too hard. And it's like half a goatee. But his face, it, it was too uh, red and tender for him to shave it off, so he couldn't do it. And then he's got no eyebrows now, right? So he's got no eyebrows. I'm like, holy shit, man, you got half a goatee and no fucking eyebrows. And I was like, man, what what about your chest? You know, how's that? And he looks down, and I fucking lose it. Like He looks down at his chest to speak. And uh, apparently at some point when he was lit up, he looks down at his he, he burned the top of his head off like, this dude's got the full fucking old man cul-de-sac now, right on top of his head. Just big U-shape missing a bald skin where it all singed off. And he's got this bright big mole 
They got burned at the back of his head like the old man at the end of the cul-de-sac screaming, Get off of my lawn! And, uh, shame to say at this point, like, everybody starts laughing. You know, when I start laughing at the, uh, cul-de-sac, as I called it, you know, except for Albert, he's still pretty mad at me, and so he's like, you know what, man, you gotta leave. Fuck you, fuck you, man. Don't come back. So, uh, you know, Albert from that day... Me and him just, we weren't quite as tight of friends <laughs> anymore. And I feel bad about it. I mean, but, you know, shit happens. Uh, he survived and uh, grew his hair back. And so, you know, that's one of the reasons why, you know, teenage boys get killed a whole lot more than uh, teenage girls because we're dumb as shit. So, in an effort to combat how dumb I once was, I'm going to sit here for the next ever so many minutes and explain to you how dumb I am now. And just by postulating crazy questions and, uh, and I was thinking about the whole idea of, you know, uh, veganism as a global motivation. Not a global motivation, but like a global initiative. Like, could you really feed the entire world on a only plant-based diet or plant-only based diet and actually you know what you can you can feed the entire world on a purely plant-based diet and uh, the fact is it's pretty efficient based purely on protein per acre and calories per acre alone uh, surely an obvious win for vegans right I mean who doesn't want to feed the world cheap and completely um, Oh, well, maybe evil, immoral, omnivore, sinners. That's probably who, right? Guys like me. Um, yeah. Or anybody who might want to consider nutrition as a whole. Uh, the first problem is actually... Uh, the, the, the main problem for the nutrition side is actually the primary plant's advantage, and that's how many calories you can get out of plant-based protein crops. It's calories per acre. Uh, it doesn't really matter. It's it's a big number depending on the crop. Um, but you know, plants definitely win that one hands down. Um, with probably the best one being uh, soy, right? So soy offers a pretty decent protein profile or amino acid profile with all nine essential amino acid uh, acids. Histine, oh, sorry, before I get into that, right, if you don't know, uh, essential amino acids are ones that your body can't produce, and so you have to get them from external food sources. So those nine essential amino acids are histidine, isoleucine, uh, lysine, methyl, methionine, uh, phenylalanine, and um, theurine, and tryptophan, and valine. So that's not bad, except um, there's a insufficient amount of methionine methionine I'm sorry these are tough words and lysine for um, soy to be considered a truly complete protein source which means that you'd have to find some sort of uh, alternate plant-based protein to provide those other two um, amino acids and get a complete protein profile per the day um, so the real health challenge there comes from um, that caloric density due to the fact that all the plant-based foods come with 
a whole lot of carbs in them, right? So, I know what you're thinking, but Bill, there's a... Nine calories for every gram of fat, and there's way more fat in animals than there are in plants. Well, sure, but you can just cut the fat off of your steak, and it's a whole lot harder trying to boil the carbs out of your edamame. So, what do, the, what do these numbers look like? Well, the basic rule for a moderately active adult is uh, adult male is 0.7 grams for every pound of body weight, and 0.6 grams of protein for every pound of body weight of adult female. Um, beef would mean that for 100, if you're eating nothing but beef, right? Uh, 160 pound woman, not really an athlete, but not, you know, not obese, um, somewhere in between, right? Because you could probably be a whole lot leaner and heavier. And 160 pounds of female with like a 20% body rate, she's going to be pretty jacked. Um, but let's just say your average woman who works out, you know, like she's a little she's trying you know but not not really an athlete uh, so she would only need eight ounces of lean beef per day uh, the required to get the required 69 grams right so 69 grams of protein that would be approximately 432 calories and she'd only need about 1800 calories a day in her daily diet to to maintain that that body weight so that's not a very large portion of her day. It gives her lots of room to eat uh, veggies and her carbs and get all the other required vitamins that she would need, you know, having only spent 432 calories getting her entire daily protein allotment. Now, as opposed to soy, to get the same 69 grams of protein, she'd have to eat 5.6 cups of edamame. That's 982 calories, more than half her daily caloric allowance. Um, so, by comparison, with quinoa, it would be a whopping 8.5 cups, and that would come out to be 1,891 calories. Like, she's got to really like this stuff, because that's all she's getting to eat today. Like, that's it. Like, she's actually went over her allotted diet, man. She's, she's really going to miss cheese. Like, I don't know about the rest of y'all. Maybe this is just, like, you know... A white guy thing, white people thing, like, man, we like the hell out of cheese. Cheese and potatoes. Like, if you were to get rid of cheese and potatoes, we'd probably starve to death, you know? Uh, so, sorry. Uh, then there's other problems that you have with trying to, uh, you know, just maintain that vegan diet is because it would be really difficult to want to do it because you're not getting a whole lot of flavor uh, diversity not getting a whole lot of texture diversity there either uh, I mean I, this is just me personally like right I'm just running with opinion here uh, but then there's also all the health issues that are gonna follow that because that, that's one of the things is there's never been any um, full vegan diet that's passed peer review for nutritional uh, studies that, that meets the uh, Required nutrition for nutritional amounts for healthy adults, or up to the World Health Organization standards. Um, and then there's other environmental issues, right? So there's agricultural fallout. Like, okay, so we switch everybody over to a vegan diet. What are we doing with all the uh, cows and pigs and chickens? We're just gonna kill them all? I mean, 
we can just kill them all in the name of mercy. I mean, most of them are suffering inside of uh, these factory farms that are pretty grotesque and probably the absolute best argument that any of the vegans have against meat-eating. Okay, because, like, factory farms are pretty damn brutal. You know, they get these cows and they bring them up to a trough and they stun them and then they got to pith them. And I don't know if you know what pithing is, but, like, so the, the bolt gun, the captive bolt gun, it knocks a hole in their head. It doesn't kill them. You got to shove a rod inside their skull and scramble the brains up. You got to actually sever the spinal cord. And when you do this pithing, it causes the animal to twitch around and kick. It it, it looks very violent and very painful. I have no idea if they feel pain because they don't survive to ask them. Uh, so, you know, I I understand that side of the argument. Um, I think like probably the uh, the farm raised ones, the ones that are out there marching around, where you know their trusty old farmer Dan, who's raised him up from a calf, walks up to him one day with a special pipe and a bag of feed and just makes him look down at the ground and that's it Betsy no more bluebell making days for you um, that that might be the best way for it to go it's definitely better than, than you know watching all of them get slaughtered right in front of your eyes watching your you know everybody from the truck get lined up and you just see it coming as the uh as the stockyard line progresses into the factory. Oh, man. Yeah. So, okay. But then, like, what do you do with all the, the stuff? Because, so, like, what we do is you have plant husks, right? You got soybeans, and you can't eat the shell, and you can't eat the, uh, the, the stem. And a lot of that's ground into patties and pellet, pelletized food for cows and pigs to feed on. You know, so there's a... Uh, cyclical use of it so that you know nothing goes to waste or less goes to waste because we waste a lot there's no getting around that how much food we throw away with diners and buffets and just our general commercial food practices as required by our uh, food and drug administration and the uh, you know the health departments and you know some of those are a good thing because people will cut a lot of corners and resell stuff that's old and get people sick um, but what do you what do you do with all the the plant husk and that that used to be used for food? I mean, do you put it in a landfill, and or is it suitable to be uh, put in a digester and turned into fertilizer? Because you know what's a great digester for plant matter? A fucking cow. Yeah, a cow's a great digester for plant matter. Imagine that, right? Um, and then how can you have? all the organic food to feed the world if you kill off your largest sources of organic fertilizer. I mean, not to mention the fact that inorganic fertilizer don't support natural microbial life in the soil that optimizes the, the soil content for plants to grow. Uh, it, it improves water retention. I'm talking about manure here, right? It improves water retention of the soil, which means the crops require less water than they would if you used inorganic sources of fertilizer. So manure, as a lot of people call it, or as I like to refer to it, super animal exit mass improves biofauna profile of the soil and even controls pathogens when uh, balanced correctly in the environment where you know it's not too hot, not too dry, not too moist. It, it keeps the right amount of good versus bad bacteria. 
and that improves overall um, health of the soil and you know the plant too obviously so if you don't have these uh, animals producing this manure you, you're gonna have to stick with the inorganic ones which means it you know of course all the vegans will have to admit that they still need uh, the evil oil that's right you will be a slave forever to Halley Exxon Mobile Burton and they will keep raping your planet drilling her in both ends simultaneously simultaneously <laughs> um, and squeezing every little last drop of her goodness into their thirsty fucking wallets so that you can have yourself an extra plate of tofu bean curd and so how are you going to get around that I mean and then you've got the the other side of the inorganic fertilizers is that they're highly water soluble so when you water those crops they're gonna have runoff and that runoff is super duper fertilized right it's very very uh, amicable to algae and uh, microbial life and that gets put into rivers and streams and eventually ends out uh, mostly in the Gulf of Mexico at the uh, Mississippi River mouth and creates these huge algae blooms where they take off exponentially where that warm water is and they grow like crazy and they absorb all the oxygen out of the water and kill the shit out of fish and shellfish and cross mass die-offs right so like all these mass die-offs you end up with these other uh, large groups of uh, microorganisms that are eating the decaying fish and they uh, they freak a whole lot of havoc on the environment and this is all just so you can have a salad with the satisfactory of saying that um, you know it was animal friendly. I don't even want to get into the idea of how many uh, you know, smaller organisms get killed to make the uh, land mass for uh, massive crop growing. I, I know there's a there's an entire argument about how much of farmland is actually dedicated just to keep livestock animals fed, and that's probably a, a subject that could be gone into for a while. Um, but my final point, this is the real nail in the coffin that's just going to lock this whole argument in. And I don't think that anybody anywhere on this planet can debate this one. It's one simple word. And this is why the vegan way will never win. Bacon. That's goddamn right. Bacon. Crispy, crunchy, goosey, however you choosy, delicious pig magic. It wins every time. Bacon makes everything better, even quinoa or quinoa. I don't know how to say it. Quinoa, that's how I'm going to say it. So hate me, okay? Hate the quinoa saying guy who doesn't know shit on the internet. And speaking of things that I don't know shit about, like, holy fuck, what is going on in the world right now? Uh, especially here in the good old U.S. of A. Uh, man, we are, we, we are trudging rather precariously through the coronavirus. Um, man, I guess we're going to find out in a few weeks whether this really was the uh, greatest existential threat that mankind ever faced or the biggest hoax ever perpetrated on the world as a whole. Because <clears throat> I can't imagine that this many people in this many close group protests are going to be immune already. 
And like I could go into a whole conspiracy hole about how maybe it was all, it really was all the uh, secret white supremacist agent provocateurs that created all the uh, calamity or, or at least got the kickoff going for the, you know, the riots to get moving. Because you know how humans are. Like we see one guy doing it or we hear it and we're in a crowd we're like, oh, windows are breaking. Shit's burning. This is what we're doing. This is what we're doing. And then everybody's, you know, they've got that uh, pack mentality and everybody's burning shit, right? And so, like, maybe that was the whole idea. These were these uh, white supremacist agent provocateurs that went out there with the whole goal of getting everybody to rally up even more so that way black communities would suffer from the COVID virus and not be available during the uh, November elections this year. Seems highly unlikely, but, you know, the, the structure of is there at least for that storyline uh but you know what's up with the the the, the riot control and, and the cops and like how'd this whole thing get kicked off and so you know there's a pretty unanimous uh or pretty widespread unity that you know this george floyd guy was unjustly killed and and you know through either uh, absolute malice or complete negligence I, I I don't know but he died the tactics used um, they were disproportionate to the threat he was posing uh, I, I saw that you know like uh, you can look and see where the, the, the cops on top of him at several points they they took their hands they, they were just had their hands like sitting on their waist you know like he's not bucking around if he was you know compromising their balance and struggling they would have had to balance their hands on the car, so it was pretty, pretty clear that he he wasn't resisting anything at all at that point. So you know it was time to get the heck up off of him. And then there's that other the other cop who wasn't on top of him, who's who's serving crowd control, and he's standing there watching the whole thing go down. And so it's got me wondering, like you know, why didn't he do anything? You know, did did he really feel that things weren't going wrong, that everything was all right? And so, or is it like what fraternal issues inhibit officers from speaking up or intervening when they, they witness uh, misconduct? I mean, is it their typical social inhibition or something more sinister, like some sort of elitist mentality or just uh, uncertainty of what to do because their training sucks? I know that police officers, you know, uh, unarmed training, it's shit. Like, I uh, used to train jujitsu and we had cops come in there who'd and completely uh, completed the academy and like they didn't have a clue what they were doing man they didn't have a clue what they were doing on the ground um, really really sad to see that now I, I know like there's all sorts of different dynamics that come into play on the street versus on the padded mats of a jujitsu school you know you've got of course you know the ground itself and different surfaces that are not padded mats and you've got always the possibility of other um, combatants jumping in and attacking you know simultaneously and then you have the uh, weapons come into play so you've got to adjust tactics accordingly but that doesn't mean that the tactics that they use are still the best you know that, that they couldn't use some polishing and that there's not and that there's enough uh, refinement within those uh, tactics for them to be able to adjust and escalate appropriately as they assess a threat um, so does that leads me to think does like does the academy also you know prepare 
these uh, officers to to deal with things like audio exclusion. You know, like they get into a, a, a wrestling match with a a perpetrator, a suspect, whatever you want to call him, and so they get him pinned down, and then people start to gather around and. You know, they're just so focused on restraint and, and making sure that they don't get jumped or attacked from other angles that they don't even bother to notice the uh, the, the suspect or whoever they have restrained is in you know serious medical distress. Maybe they learn to tune it out and they've just blocked it out. And maybe not because they're a complete sadistic psychopath, which there's probably a handful of them out there that, that are, but maybe a lot of these guys are just, you know, they're just so completely jaded to the idea that people really have a medical distress, which I think is, if that's the case, they're, they're pretty stupid or their training is shit. It's, again, it's going to go back to training. And then just, um, you know, they, they just miss the, the, misinterpret the cues of medical distress. And then the other thing is like, you know, the way that they choose to initiate force, especially like when it comes to deadly force. I don't know if you remember the whole Daniel Schaefer thing, man. Dude, uh, all details aside of how it came to this, uh, he was unarmed in basketball shorts, crawling, you know, shirtless on his hands and knees down the hallway of a uh, hotel with an AR pointed at him over the report of a weapon, you know, and so he's crawling and being told what to you know to follow the instructions and uh, kept naturally reaching for his waist as he crawled because his basketball shorts or his boxers I don't know which they were kept sliding down off his ass while he's trying to crawl you know and like it's really unnatural for anybody out in public whether it be in the presence of any stranger at all whatsoever unless you're a real weirdo to be okay with your pants just falling down and so you know, a lot of times we we really make this uh, assumption that it's fair to allow you know officers this uh, benefit of the doubt that maybe it's audio exclusion, maybe it's stress induced, it's fear that causes them to react so extremely. It's their training, right? They were trained to react this way, and that they were nervous and that they were. Um, you know, in fear for their lives, is it fair to grant highly trained officers this consideration of stress-induced tunnel vision, but simultaneously expect an unarmed, an untrained citizen to react and comply with perfect calm while having a gun pointed at them or being pinned and cuffed? You know, uh, especially I guess under the point where they they feel like they're becoming um, respiratory distress. Like, man, that whole panic can set in there and really just uh, cause somebody to freak the hell out. Everybody knows somebody, or at least knows of somebody who has extreme claustrophobia, so it's not beyond reason to think that sometimes you might arrest somebody who's got this extreme claustrophobia, and I, I know you know the, the casual dismissal of that as well, yeah, you should have thought about that before you made a mistake and broke the law. Well, you know what? The thing is, you don't know they broke the law. That's what court's for. You don't know they broke the law. It's assumed by the officer that they broke the law, but you know they make the they make mistakes. They make mistaken identity all the damn time. Shit, they can't even get the address right on no-knock raids enough times for that to be a questionable practice, like a highly questionable practice. In fact, it ought to just not be a practice unless someone's life is 
in immediate danger. I mean, this seems like it should be so obvious. We don't need to go kicking doors over plants and, uh, you know, powders that people are voluntarily consuming. And getting cops and citizens killed over recreational substances that, you know, that come with deadly consequences, but so do fucking dirt bikes, okay? I mean, we gotta we gotta think about a different way to move through this world. It's just really weird, and uh, man, I don't know. Not really sure how to end this one off on a clever note, but I've gone well after the 30-minute mark, so you know, I'm just gonna shut up while the shutting is good. Thanks for listening, everybody. This is the Unstoppa Bill podcast, and I am your host, Bill Unstoppa. Have a good night.